Maxi, miss. Cheapest rates in Glencoe. Well, hello. How are you? Well, I'm fine. How are you? And I might add, who are you? Who am I? Am I supposed to know? Come to think of it, no, you're not supposed to know. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Let the Movie Speak. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm Justin. And we have a returning guest. I'm going to just go ahead and say our favorite guest so far. Aw. Uh, Annie's back. How are I you, I am. Annie? I'm doing well. Happy to be back. Sweet. I think I hear this is your favorite movie. Um, I like it better than the one you lost. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Time to fess up, Travis. Well, lost is... A very weird way of articulating. You're, you're right. You're right. Uh, okay. Lost so. to thievery. Yeah, exactly. This is part of the three. This is the last, actually. We're, we're there, people. Mm. So congratulations mm. and thank you to the two of you for coming back for more. <laughs> this is the third <laughs> of three robbery redos, as we're calling them, uh, because all our equipment was stolen. And uh, instead of redoing the third film in our series, we just we just swapped it out because you both thought it was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you know, uh, in retrospect, I still th- kind of liked it. It was fine, but we'll never tell you what that movie was. It, it'll be a secret forever. It was in a lonely place. It was in a lonely place. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're talking about a different movie with at least one of the same actors. I think only one of the same actors. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of jumps around the chronology of how we're going through. It's 1954 when that was a little earlier, but who cares? Right, Justin? Cause it's, it's nobody cares. You especially. All, right. Well, and all, you know, when, when your greatest possessions have been deprived of you, Travis, yeah. you know, and you've been just shelved to the sidewalk, like a piece of refuse, um, <laughs> like we have, um, you know, you just, you feel humble and grateful enough just to wake up, and roll over and see your podcast equipment next to you and know, you know, I can still carry on. I can still do this. So I think we're just both um, just boatloads of excitement to be here. Boatloads. You sound like the boats might be a little on the small side for you tonight, but I appreciate the, the kind words and the imagery of you sleeping next to your podcast equipment. They're, the boats are canoeish, I guess. Okay. Maybe large kayaks. Okay. I guess it's uh, still technically a boat. Yeah. Just enough to get podcasting gear in. Right. So uh, we're going to talk about 1954 Sabrina, which is a star-studded vehicle that I think lots of people have seen and lots of people like. And it was the first time I watched it. Was it the first time you watched it, Justin? I don't remember uh, because this is not a movie I would have enjoyed as a a lad. That's true. Um, so it is very possible that I have seen this before on one uh, afternoon with my mother and TCM in the background, but uh, yeah. I don't know. How about you, Annie? Um, well, uh, we may get to this later, but the uh, redo of this with yes. Harrison Ford and Julie Armand and Greg Kinnear, Greg Kinnear's first starring role, uh, came out when I was 16, and that made me prime demographic. Um, and so I, I have... <laughs> is it 95? 95. Oh. Is that one? Sure. I mean, I'm not trying to uh, no. divulge your age. I'm just no, trying to no, get a no, sense no, no, of no. the kind of movie that this is. It's a 95 movie, isn't okay, it? Okay, so I was 17. Okay. <laughs> the kind of movie? What does that have to do with what year well, it came out? Look, a 90s... Well, it's not a 96, let me tell you. It, <laughs> no, it, no. We're not going to mistake about... it for a 94. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a 90s movie. It is a 90s movie. Yeah. And so um, with all of the discretion of a yeah. mid-teen um, I've really liked the redo. Okay. Um, I may, but my mom made me go back and watch this one, and I did not like this one. Uh, don't spoil anything yet. But okay. But that was me at seventeen. So who knows oh, what I think now? A mere five years ago. <laughs> 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 okay. All right. Let's get into what we watched this week. Annie, what did you watch this week? As the guest, you can go first. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about two movies very briefly. Um, one of them is a little flick you may have heard of called Citizen Kane. Uh, mm. Indie movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my hot take is that Citizen Kane is a good movie. Nice. Um, what, I, <laughs> what I was impressed with when I saw it for the first time, like I think last week, was that it... Oh, first time. Yeah. Like nice. I've never nice, seen it nice. before. Um, it 
you know, it has that art house sensibility to it where you're really watching it for the, the framing and the shots and whatever else. Uh, but it also has a compelling plot and characters mm -hmm. and, and, and people you care about. And there's so few movies I've seen that do both of those well. Yeah. And so th mm -hmm. I think that was what impressed me so much about Citizen Kane and probably is why it, you know, ranks, you know, in the top one, two, three yeah. on most, uh, best of lists. So, um, the other movie I watched recently was my man Godfrey. Mm -hmm. And I thought I should mention it on this podcast because it's a, um, William Powell flick like the thin man. He plays, yeah. um, the lead in the thin man. Uh, he's paired with Carol Lombard this time. And it's very much more like a slapstick romantic comedy. Um, but it's, it's good. It's fun. It's making some commentary, some social commentary that's interesting. Um, but it's, it's the thin man, um, with just as, as funny and intelligent a script, except the female lead is stupid. <laughs> like, like she's like Gracie Allen style yeah. dumb, yeah. but the, f the film is smart. Uh, hmm. And so, anyway, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Non it was fluff. It was but you fun were fluff. like raised on those Thin Man movies, so it's yes. hard. Yeah, it's kind of but, a high bar for like female co-leads. Yeah, almost. But yeah. Yeah, like they they play her off as the fool like throughout. But anyway, yeah. I loved it. Even so, so if you um, if you liked the Thin Man, give it a whirl. Give my man Godfrey a whirl. Okay. And Justin, um, what did you watch this week? Well, I. Uh, Sat the kids down for mandatory first time viewing of The Sound of Music. Um, which, that's the, oh, okay. That's I thought the that was um, the Led Zeppelin at first. I don't know what was going on. That's what they sing in the the song of the Hills. The Hills. The Hills are the hills alive. Are alive. Yeah. Yeah. There there is some uh, there are some high soprano parts in this uh, song exclusively film. by men. From what I've. Uh, been told right yeah actually all of uh julie andrews um singing is dubbed over by um i think it's tony bennett <laughs> yeah anyway just uh uncredited talking about that movie today um no it's uh it's really kind of fascinating um it, yeah my hot take like annie's is uh santa music um you know pretty good indie movie <laughs> no but just just to see um you know like that was a studio that was a big production back then i mean and it, oh yeah in in the in the greatest sense um it it really was it just tells you how much cinema has changed especially on that kind of scale um today i mean it would just be laughable um to think that a movie like that would be a a big oscar nominated and box office draw but this is from a different era this is from you know that golden age of musicals and so um largely i think the movie is still really um rocking but as we talked about in our um, little pre-game show here uh, between the three of us. Uh, it's really long, yep. um, and um, I I don't know that it's quite bloated, but it it might exist in some kind of mist where it's it's possible you could run into bloated parts. <laughs> um, and it uh, it does it is a strange for a character that is supposed to be a uh, a nun or a. Um, one who is uh, trying to take on the full umbrage of nunnage. Um, it, it is uh, interesting how um, theologically light that is. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's just my bias because I'm like a weird person that would probably rather watch like Martin Scorsese's, Scorsese's silence, silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew you were than, say that. Yeah. than this. But yeah, it's just a little odd. Um, but you you can only fit so much into three and a half hours, I guess. Yeah, they were really um, short on time. They didn't have enough time to they get. Didn't into that. have a lot to go on. Kid actors have come a long way. Uh, Christopher Plummer really aged very gracefully. Yeah. Um, and so has Julie Andrews. Um, he is straight up foxy in that movie. Uh -huh. That guy is so good looking. Like he's like a like a nice looking old man too. Uh -huh. Like when he in his latter years. But man, I rewatched that. He looks like a different person. But just like super like movie star quality like yeah, face. Definitely. Kind of nuts. What's yeah. your favorite song? What's your favorite song, Justin, from The Sound of Music? You go first while I think of my answer. Edelweiss. I yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's basic, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. I saw a film clip just last week, and it was uh, Julie Andrews was receiving some sort of award at some big, great uh -huh. event. And the people on stage start singing a medley of, of songs from The Sound of Music. Yeah. And then all around the room, these, I think it was five or six 
people who looked much older than her yeah. just stood up in their seats and started, uh, stood up, not in their seats, next to their seats. That would be um, amazing. Yeah, and started singing along and all just made their way over. And it was the kids. It was the kids. Oh. And they were just scattered throughout wow. the event. And she had no idea. And every single one of them looked 15 years older than her. Because she aged like amazingly. Well, I mean, you know, she has the resources. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but it was, I was anyway. giving her a little bit of leeway there. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that all tears. resources? Because uh, it made me uh, cry. Audrey Hepburn of Sabrina fame, yeah. um, she did not age as. No, she um, didn't. I'd like to poke Julie Andrews in the cheek and find out. You know what I mean? Like if it, yeah, if it's, what's real? If it snaps back or doesn't, you know what I mean? Well, she's talk she's about a the bloated parts in the mist. <laughs> singers tend to their faces tend to, you know, have more tone. R- wrinkle? No, I, they look better. I, oh, they look better. Okay. I think to answer your question, my yeah, when I was a kid, I really liked Edelweiss the best. Apparently, my parents came home one day when I was a kid, and I was just singing Edelweiss. Um, you were normal. To, like, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think my favorite is my favorite things. Oh, that's um, a good song. But that probably has more to to do with it being like a jazz standard now. And how yeah. the crap did that turn into a Christmas song? Can anybody answer that question? Stuff. It, Give I, me, it's materialism. It says one thing about like spices in the winter or something. No, like, there's packages tied up with string. That's it. That's it. It's so weird to me that that's like a perennial Christmas song. And Tony Bennett, of all people, has like a cover of See, it that pops up on the radio. It's all coming together. Yeah. it's We plan. This is clearly all planned, all of these references. <laughs> okay. my what Stick to the script. Uh, I love Sound of Music too. by the way. It rules. Uh, it's it's the best version of, oh, what's that, Julian? Uh, the other musical we watched, Justin, uh, with the trolley song. That's so horrifying. Uh, Meet me in St. Louis. That one. It's, oh yes, <laughs> it's the much better version of that movie. Yeah, it has fewer yeah. pyres burning in the street and murderous children. I mean, it, you, it does. You know what? It does have you murderous can, Nazis. It does have Nazis. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It was a really good primer for my kids. They just uh, started learning about um, World War II. Yeah. incidentally, in their uh, curriculum, and so uh, it was uh, again just I'm following Timely. the script and nice. tying all things together. Right. So I got to work um, but, Nazis into my next thing. Okay, I'll do my best. I watched yeah. A Simple Plan, which is an, another 90s flick, I believe. Later 90s. Have you seen A Simple Plan? Nope. Okay. It's the yeah, same. I have. You have, Justin? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was really freaking great, actually. Um, it's a Sam Raimi movie. Um, and you may or may not know Sam Raimi as like you know a horror genre guy. He did like the Evil Dead movies. Um, and then most recently he did the, the newest Dr. Strange. Uh, oh, let's not talk about that. He did Spider-Man. Yeah. Let's Spider-Man. Just leave it yeah he did Spider-Man's he did Spider-Man. all three of them. Uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. He did all three of them. Uh, anyway, this is sort of in the period of his career where he was like, I'm going to do some like serious dramas. And then he got a little bit of like acclaim and awards like, uh, buzz or whatever. This is one of those movies in that run, but the cast is really good. It's uh, Bill Paxton is the lead. Um, Billy Bob Thornton in one of the most incredible supporting roles like I've ever seen. And he got an Oscar nomination for it. Um, and it's, it is it is like a Coen Brothers movie that they never made. Um, yeah. Which isn't surprising because Raimi and the Coens like lived in an apartment together when they were coming up through the ranks and making movies mm-hmm. and stuff. Anyway, if you like Fargo, it's like a total spiritual sequel to something like Fargo um, where people make very bad decisions and you're like, oh gosh, please don't do what you're about to do. But also it's kind of funny and it has good things to say. So I would strongly recommend A Simple Plan. Great ending too, I think. Oh my gosh, such a good ending. Yeah, and it's one of those movies that almost doesn't exist anymore. People forget, I think, about it a little bit. Right, Um, like Sound of Music. Like Sound of Music. No one is... Years later, people are like, this This movie meant nothing to us. It has no legacy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When's the next Marvel thing? That's it. Okay, Justin, you know we said Christopher Plummer had a movie star face, right? Back in the yes. day, at least. Well, you know who yes. else had a movie star face? According to the, the times he lived in, was a, a man who starred in one of my favorite movies called In a Lonely Place. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Humphrey Bogart, and he's in the movie we're talking about today. Sabrina from 
So as I said, um, for me, this was a first time watch. Justin, it's like one of those ones that was probably around, but you didn't like pay attention to it a ton when you were younger. Yes. Um, but I've heard good things from most people who've recommended I watch this. And and then when we when I started watching it, Justin, I didn't I didn't do any like pre research. I just sort of put it on. Uh, but I was happy to see that it was a Billy Wilder flick. And um, based on Sunset Boulevard. At least, uh, and and I guess another movie that's coming up this season later. I was like, oh sweet, this probably won't stink. Um, so this is directed by Billy Wilder, written by him, Samuel Taylor, uh, who I think wrote the play that this is based on and helped adapt it for the screen, and another guy named Ernest Lehman. Logline is a playboy becomes interested in the daughter of his family's chauffeur, but it's his more serious brother who would be the better man for her. Uh, that's kind of a lame log line, actually. Um, it's really good when you read it that way, though. I feel like your inflection really sells it. Well, I was my doubt increased as I went along. Uh, anyway, the background of this basically is this is a a bigger budget um, studio picture, kind of a crowd pleaser style, as well as it got Oscar buzz and nominations and was nominated for seven different things and won an Oscar. So... Definitely critically well-received, um, made plenty of money, and it's kind of star-studded. You know, the cast is, is are clearly big names. So um, we already talked about our relationship to the movie a little bit. Um, but, Annie, I'm curious to know, on your rewatch, mm-hmm. anything pop up that was different for you this time than r- back when you first watched it? It's been a while. Uh-huh. So I have to dig five to, I, whole five, years five, ago. five whole years since 1995. I think probably this time I understood why I didn't like it. I think uh. when I, I think when I watched it oh so long ago, yeah. I just kind of it left a bad feeling. But this time <laughs> I I know was it indigestion? <laughs> yes, at this time I um I just I was just kind of grossed out um mm. by a few by a few parts. I mean, this is not a terrible movie. Yeah. Um but but overall I probably won't be seeking it out for my own enjoyment in the future, which gotcha. just jump to the end of your podcast, but there you go. Okay. So, I think this is going to come up and Justin, correct me if I'm wrong. I'll t- I'll pass the baton to you here. There there may or may not be one or two hurdles that if you can't if you can't find your way over those hurdles, this might be a tough movie to enjoy. Is is that how you experienced it? Yeah, and you know, for me it's not really um although I I think I'm I'm trying to pick up what Annie's laying down there and um I, I think one of those things that I imagine um she and I are uh, assuming that we're on the same page here are probably not the only people that have uh, a qualm with this, um, is just the an incredible age disparity between Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. Of course, um, she's in her mid twenties. He's in his mid fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and while if we can appropriate the Jurassic park, uh, little, you know, saying, uh, love, uh, can find a way, um, you know, it's not like no one that is 30 years older than someone else has never gotten married and maybe they truly could be in love. It just ring. It's, it's a really odd choice in my opinion, especially for this, era of Hollywood because Hollywood was already doing this kind of stuff regularly. Um, as I think we're going to see Travis soon again, coming up in another movie with, um, Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly. Mm. Um, and, and so it's not really, you know, it's not like pushing the envelope. It's like, but, but what makes this movie more unique is the movie actually is, um, uh, nice enough to admit what it's doing. Yeah. There's, There's a whole subplot sort of about, the age disparity, or at least there, there is due Multiple there is some attention yeah. given, yeah, um, to to that fact that is just really freaking obvious, even if you don't say anything more, yeah, um, and yeah, it just it doesn't, you, you know. So I think for me, the power that that could have is is really diluted one by just the the, the script, which I'm not trying to it is not a comment on like the weakness or the strength of the script on its own legs, yeah, but rather as it just has to do with that specifically not really addressed in a way that makes it meaningful any more than just sort of telling the audience like hey we get it we yeah. know he's old but get over it right um and, and so for me yeah that's uh it it is definitely a hurdle and does make it not really a movie that i'm dying to to re-watch anytime soon 
Got it. And I think one of the other issues is that we were talking about Christopher Plummer, and Christopher Plummer was, you know, incredibly handsome, but he aged, mm-hmm. he, he kind of hit that uh, several decades where you really didn't know how old he was. He was just, mm-hmm. right. you know, kind of ageless for he a long time. He looked middle-aged for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there was a large... Humphrey Bogart just, he looks old. He like He's yeah. in his 50s and he looks it if if not looking older than he is. It's not so the he, years, it's right. the mileage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's. it's not just that he's in his 50s, but that he's... Every, every one of those years is carved into yeah. that face. He's a little used up, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say some things and then I'm, I'm going to just leave them out there for people to respond to. Uh, I assumed as soon as this story started developing, as soon as he's like, well, I better distract her and, you know, try to at least pretend to make her love me for, you know, business reasons or whatever. We should probably lay out some of the plots so this makes sense to listeners. But you've got basically three main characters in the story. Sabrina is the chauffeur's daughter. Um, the one thing this movie, I think, does kind of say interestingly is some stuff about class because they give a lot of screen time to obviously the title character, but also the chauffeur, her father. Um, and so they live on side of this mansion um, from this family that owns some big corporate business that does business things. Um, and she lives kind of in the shadow of the wealth and she looks on and has this like lifelong attraction to the younger of the two brothers who's played by William Holden, who Justin, we last saw in Sunset Boulevard. Um, yes, sir. And one thing I really like about this movie in particular is aside from Audrey Hepburn, who I think is solid in this movie, but she's very much cast in an Audrey Hepburn like mold yeah this role is not like breaking the world you know it's not it's not like crazy out of type for her i think the other two at least based on my last william holden viewing these are like wildly different than you normally see these two guys playing which i found really fun um just from a viewing standpoint you know as a nerd who watches a lot of movies it's like you normally watch a humphrey bogart movie and you get the guy from in a lonely place or the big sleep or maltese falcon it's that sam spade kind of archetype and like he's still Humphrey Bogart, but like I like the casting against type as far as the type of person he is. Um, so she falls for the younger brother, and you know he doesn't even know she exists. She goes away to Paris, and we'll talk about Paris <laughs> because the depiction of Paris in this movie is, uh, shall we say, small in scope. <laughs> Um, and then she comes back a transformed, beautiful, elegant, sophisticated woman, tries to woo this man. And then this whole kind of uh, like farcical kind of comedy of manners esque thing plays out where he does see her, right? He does recognize her because now she's pretty and sophisticated, but he can't because he's got to marry this other woman for business reasons. So then Humphrey Bogart tries to woo her. That's the story. And it, it is definitely a romantic comedy. There's some dramatic things that happen in it, especially in the opening 15 minutes, which we can touch on uh, whenever. Uh, but that's the gist of the story. So you've got Humphrey Bogart, older, wiser, businessy brother, younger brother, who's a total like womanizing, you know, immature, what, three times divorced, I think they say, or something like that. So I, what, what I think about the age disparity, this is what I was trying to get to. I think the fact that it's referenced makes it totally like I can swallow it. Right. And I, and I'm not saying that because I'm, I would recommend at all times, mid fifties year old would people would pursue mid 20 year old folks. I'm just saying I, I like him in the role. I like her in the role. And the fact that they multiple times bring it up makes me think that like it, the, the story serves it up as an unlikely pairing. And I don't see, um, I don't see the story arc as a creepy predatory thing that's happening. It's definitely opportunistic. Um, but that's the hurdle, right? So like if, if I could step over that hurdle and if I'm not like, okay, I don't feel gross watching this, uh, then I think it's a really enjoyable movie. Like, I think it's funny. And I, I especially like the, the really kind of wacky stuff that happens in it. I think it hits those notes pretty well. Um, and I think William Holden is really good in this. Like he's not likable ever, but he's definitely not the guy he is in sunset Boulevard, you know, stony and sort of like, uh, brooding and all of those things. So I like the movie. 
I might be the only one who gives it like the the positive sort of uh, review, but uh, I'd love to hear why you don't because well, I'm I, interested. On on the note you just brought up, because yeah. there is there is another topic we can get to later. Yeah, uh, I think there's is it one... when she tries to kill herself. In yeah, like the first yeah. ten minutes, and okay. it's played for comedy. Yeah, uh, okay, that, so that's not a plus material. I will say. Well, what's funny is I actually had to go look it up because I started watching this and I'm like, I get to that scene and I'm like, I don't remember this. Yeah. I don't remember Julia Armand trying to kill herself. Yeah, um, and they cut that when they remade it in the '90s. They just uh, cut that whole section, which too edgy for the '90s. Um, good for them, <laughs> but. Um, there's the scene when uh, Audrey Hepburn is waiting on the tennis courts to be wooed the way that the William Holden character has wooed dozens and dozens of uh, women before her, and she has watched from the shrubbery while he did so, which, okay. Um, <laughs> and so, and then the older brother shows up instead, having having injured his brother so his brother couldn't oh we got to talk about how but we'll get to it (laughs) and uh he well and you know he starts wooing her and but the first time he kisses her he says like she looks surprised and then he goes it's all in the family and then he goes here's a kiss from david and kisses her again and yeah and then when she looks surprised and doesn't quite know what to do with that uh he goes it's all right it's all in the family and that's the scene that makes it creeptastic to you yeah that's that's the piece where yeah I can see that. I don't love the line. That's where it gets predatory in, yeah. in my mind. I, I can see that, and I don't love the line. Uh, I didn't. I didn't read that as predatory, but I could absolutely see how somebody would. But to me, it's like again, that's a hurdle. It's early on. It's before they've ever gone out and like developed any kind of relationship. And so, like, if you were to take that line out or even the kiss out altogether, I wonder how differently it might play, even with the age disparity. Yeah. What you know? do you think, Justin? Yeah, I'm. I I guess maybe I'm kind of right in the middle on that one um, between your guys's perspective um, because it watching that it's more offensive to me in just a writing kind of um, <laughs> way because he says it like three times and it's like it wasn't an amazing line to begin with um, so I don't know why it got repeated to the third power um, and it, and I agree that it does at worst the worst kind of reading which is totally valid that you yeah. can make from that is he is being a freaking creeper um, which is not a good look either and is hard to overcome um, once something like that is in the movie um, but I, I kind of chalked it up more to just really brutal um, writing um, I, I don't know if you guys um, heard this but supposedly while Writing the script for this movie, Wilder started shooting before the script was done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the poor scripter is uh, working, you know, during night in the morning and trying to get it to Billy by noon. And then Billy shoots the scene in the afternoon. So um, not ideal writing conditions. You uh, feel it in, you feel it in moments like that. I feel like, like yeah. you're saying, they may have liked that line and committed to it, but it, he does say it at least twice in that moment. And it's like, that seems like they forgot to cross it out or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and it's just uh, it, I do agree the the kiss is it's strange. Uh, it just t- to me at least my reading is not. I don't take it as a, a predatory thing. I just take it as a really weird, uh, <laughs> just shouldn't have happened. Um, just a bizarre kind of choice that, uh, I don't know. I guess when the dailies come in, they're like, hey, let's use the one where he doesn't do that, and they're like, well, sorry, we already. Humphrey Bogart dropped a cigarette on it or something, so we can't use it anymore. So yeah, that's kind of that's that's my amazing um, insight into that moment. What do, what about what? Let's talk about Audrey Hepburn's character and maybe the arc a little bit because she's she's Sabrina. They say Sabrina like uh, that's another one of the things in the in the final like sequence in the boardroom. I know yeah. they're saying it kind of for laughs, but they do say Sabrina a dozen times. And you're yeah. like, that's the name of the thing. It's another one of those moments where it's like, okay, they wrote that eight minutes ago. What do we think about Audrey Hepburn in this movie? Character, performance, clothing? Well, there's a lot to cover there. When I was watching this, one thing I thought about her character, especially her love for the younger brother, yeah. it reminded me of what um, one of you, I think maybe Travis, uh, said about the characters in Wuthering Heights, whereas these people are only in love because this is the only person they've ever known. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's true for Sabrina because even when she goes to Paris, the only man who pays any attention to her is like the old Baron is the yes. old Baron who's in his and 70s. Did you recognize the old Baron? Did, I, I feel Travis? like I half did, but I couldn't put a finger on it. 
Mar is it Marcel Dalio? Dalio? Yes, who was in uh, the Grand Illusion, Travis? Oh. He was the the Jewish lieutenant in the there French. There we go. Army. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I he had that like I I know the face, but I couldn't place it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, distracting. Please. No, but continue. it just reminded me what what like I said. I think Travis said in in Wuthering Heights, which is like this is just obsession because the shallowness of it. Yeah. Is is, yeah. is this is the <laughs> only young-ish man, although, you know, she's a teenager and he's in his 30s, so there's that. It was two years, so she was, like, super early 20s, right? They say she went to Paris for two years, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But and basically so, a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's what it yeah. was. That's one thing I thought. Okay. Yeah, I think, well, and I think that's true, right? Like, if you just take any amount of time to compare him to any other man on Earth, right? He's a bad person. <laughs> he's just, like, he's, yeah. he's shallow and womanizing and, you know... Kind of good looking, you know, but like mostly just gross, you know. Uh, and so I think you're right. I think without a baseline of decency, there's just like a guy in a, an expensive suit dancing with beautiful women at a party. And and yeah. And so, okay. So then she goes to Paris, right? Her her father sends her away. To, oh, I skipped it. Hold on. Oh, yeah. She's supposed to go to Paris. <laughs> and uh, she's so stricken with grief because uh, because David, of course, he won't bat an eye back at her. So she writes her little farewell note and then she goes down into the garage and, and starts eight different cars and tries to kill herself. But uh, what made me laugh and I don't think it was supposed to, maybe it was supposed to, uh, is she's like, she starts all the cars and then she like kind of lays down like she's just going to die. And she's like, oh, smoky in here. And she opens a window. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not how it works. Uh, yeah. And then Humphrey Bogart comes in. No, I think her. you're supposed to laugh. I yeah. think you're supposed to think, Oh, what a silly little girl. Yeah. She's overreacting. You know, how adorable and ridiculous. Like and, and like the whole yeah. thing where like she turns the Jeep on and it starts like and shaking goes, and rattling yeah. and she's like shh, shh. Yeah. like like that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. And it's like, no, you have a young woman trying kill, to, trying to kill herself yeah. because the man she, you know, is interested in doesn't know she's alive. Yeah. Like that's not Justin, funny. how'd you take the attempted suicide? With a barrel of laughs, guys. Um yeah, you know, I guess it didn't maybe rub me as with as strong of a conviction, maybe. Uh, I think that's just because if there was any... I, I would have a way different viewing on if a scene like this was in, say, say, say the script is written a different way, and at the end of the movie, when she realizes, oh, you know what, it's better if I don't pursue David at all, I see what I'm doing, then she has an attempted suicide scene. Then it's like, what the heck? None yeah. of this is funny. Yeah. Um, but there is no real, for me at least, for, for whatever my opinion's worth, there's no dramatic tension at all um, with that happening in like the first 10 minutes. Because yeah. if she dies there at the end, it's like, you know, that, that kind of art house did not exist in Hollywood um, then and still doesn't really now. So um, I, I don't know. To, to me, just because there's no real stakes, I don't believe as a viewer that it, it is even possible. Yeah. It's a different different commentary than what Annie mentioned. I don't mean to um, take away from that at all. That, that I think there is an interesting conversation to be had about what that says about um, uh, gender roles in 1950. What year is it, guys? 53? Four. Four? Okay. Uh, yeah, they're filming. Um, and, so. and just expectations of masculinity and femininity. Um, but just as a on a on a, a less cerebral maybe um, or just more as a as an entertainment kind of viewing um, yeah I, I did find it uh, uh, humorous for what they were trying to achieve uh, though maybe not perhaps to the level um, that would have been common or that was intended uh, for the original audience yeah, I agree with you that, that there's no stakes like yeah there's no stakes you never think she's act like that she's actually in danger and the immaturity of her suicide note is, is, yeah, you know, makes that, that clear. that's the point that I was just going to say the, the immaturity is the only thing they're trying to drive home. Right? right. It's like they're depicting pure melodrama and like you said, pure, like single minded focus, like, a, uh, you know, being infatuated with this man who's maybe the only man she's ever had the opportunity to be infatuated with. There are other ways to write that. <laughs> there are other ways to establish your character as, needing to go away and find independence and find a place that makes her happy and turn her into a fully formed woman, independent and uh, whatever. I, I do think like going to, I'm going to kill myself in a garage 
is like needlessly dark and probably not as funny as something else might have been. Like, what if she just decided to run away and, mm-hmm. you know, somehow failed at that or something? I, 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 don't, I don't think the movie sets her up to look stupid most of the time. But that is a moment where you can't help it. Like, you know, you look dumb when you don't mm-hmm. know that you're going to get smoke in the room when you start at cars. So mm-hmm. anyway, she, she fails because Humphrey Bogart comes and finds her and says, oh, you silly girl. Uh, better get back up to your room. She goes to Paris. Talk to me about Paris, people. I've never been to Paris, but I assume... Well, it was shot on location, actually. Because <laughs> um, you can clearly tell the uh, Tour de Eiffel is um, in the background there of the yes, cooking school. It is. Um, and a totally non-stereotypical, very accurate... Um, just They just took this guy off the street, actually. Right. He wasn't even person. a real actor. They just found this guy. Yeah. No, they just found him from a restaurant, um, which there are millions of. Um, in Paris, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it is also I think um, I think it's shooting for um, a similar kind of vein of comedy or the same kind of level or wavelength of laughs as the suicide scene we just talked about. Yeah, um, it's just very it's it's pretty goofy. Um, again, it's kind of it, it serves a few purposes, right, of kind of showing her transforming or or. M- going through metamorphosis um and then also uh just kind of the there's a there's a beauty and a romance that is always implied never Mm -hmm. really shown in paris um and in i guess france at large um but uh really all that we're left with as far as a visceral or any kind of actual substantive or kind of evidence uh, based yeah. data uh, to take with from from what we were shown of Paris is just all kind of clownish. You know, even the guy that takes interest in her, the Baron, um, he is old and he just looks goofy. I mean, oh, you know, I've been just, watching you for some time. He's like yeah. a caricature <laughs> of an old man. It's really weird. Any, correct me if I'm wrong. You lived in Paris. Yeah. Or, okay. You got to tell. You got. You got to reveal. Is is this depiction of Paris much at all like your experience living in that city? I'm I'm not even gonna day to answer that question. <laughs> like that's just an insulting question. Here's I said to Travis earlier today that I prefer the '90s version right. of this movie, and and um, that may not be a, a popular take. Uh, and but this scene right here is why is because in the '90s version she goes to Paris, but she goes to become a fashion photographer. And it is played Mm. for laughs. Like at her first shoot, um, a model loses a contact. And this is back in the days of hard contacts when they were like made of glass or something similar. And, you know, she accidentally steps on it. And so, you know, this is, you know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And she's a klutz and haha. But through her time in Paris, she becomes accomplished and known. She becomes an independent person. And you see more of it. And and, and even when she comes back to New York, she is. She has made a name for herself as a photographer. Okay. I really love that they made her a photographer and not a model. Okay. Um, you know, but but I feel like the 90s version of this just gave her so much more independence and agency, which then when the old man yeah. is interested in her, it makes more sense. Gotcha. Than mm. than than Audrey Hepburn. Because Audrey Hepburn, maybe she learned how to cook and make turn like a saltines into a souffle, which I still don't understand <laughs> what must, that is. Must be a it thing could somewhere. happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but I that that was one of the pieces where I think that made the '90s version yeah more um, just more meat on the bone. In yeah, that part of the story. there's just yeah. it just makes I think it it solves a lot of problems. Okay. That that the '50s version has. I'm gonna take I, that answer to mean this is exactly like Paris in real life. This is what it's like to live there. Mm-hmm. Justin, what did well, you? I, <laughs> You know, there's one part, though, that I think this this movie does. um, There's a lot of things I think, actually, this movie does well. But with regards to the Paris thing, one thing that the movie is trying to achieve, I I think, is to show that Sabrina is is growing. And really, even though Linus ends up falling in love with her um, and and uh, the other brother, David, um, ends up sort of having like a surprise sort of arc at the end that maybe we can get into a little later. The The real character that has the arc is the titular character. And she, the first evidence I think you see of that is this shot where she's writing the letter um, to her father while uh, La Vie en Rose is playing in the background. And 
the the first shot in in my opinion is the shot that Wes Anderson uses in every single one of his movies. It is framed in exactly the same way where the character is, you know, whoever whoever your actor is is uh completely and perfectly centered and everything on the set design for that character's room because they're usually in internal interior shots. Yeah. Um is is perfectly manicured and everything is placed just as it should be so you get this really interesting placement of uh um what gosh i'm i'm blanking on the words props thank you props and people are all kind of playing the same role everything kind of becomes a prop in the way that he frames things it's like a still uh, yeah and it's super symmetrical yes. like a frame yes i know what you're talking about yeah and so in, in, for me, that's where it's like, wow, I wonder if this is one of those shots that, you know, may have influenced Mr. Anderson. But different than Mr. Anderson, Mr. Wilder just chooses to zoom in from there mm-hmm. and uh, as she's writing the letter. And I think for, for all the, the lack of really getting to know Paris, that this movie seems very uninterested in, in actually cluing the viewer in on how a place like that could change somebody. The movie does do, a, I think, a good job just by Wilder's choice of camera movement to show that the real growth is happening internally, um, and it's it's the <laughs> it's the theater of the mind, um, and and so I, I don't know that was one that was one shot or, or sequence um, rather that I thought uh, did communicate what the rest of of Paris time really failed to. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I learned how to crack an egg the right way so many times. So I, I thought... <laughs> it's on the wrist. Yeah, it's all on the wrist. Also, it's kind of violent. He was like, wham, when he cracked the egg. And I was like, okay, I've been doing this wrong for a long... I mean, I got chickens in my backyard. I'm cracking yeah. fresh eggs, baby. And this is... I got it all wrong. <laughs> so You got to practice. Okay. I, I did not at all absorb the things that you did in watching that shot, but I, I love your your take on it. And what, what I think is funny is I'm watching her come back from Paris. Okay, let's get back past the crazy chef stuff and get back to her in, in the States, I think. Um, I had flashbacks to, um, there's this joke in a movie where like there's this nerdy girl um, who's like super frumpy and she has like overalls and glasses and a ponytail and it's a, it's like a comedy movie, right? And this other character is like, we got to turn you into the bell of the ball, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, she comes in, and the two things she does to her are takes off her glasses and takes out her ponytail. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so, like, there's a little bit of that going on here. Uh, uh, where, there's a lot of that going yeah, on here. Where, like, she comes back and she has, like, a haircut, which I really appreciate that this movie acknowledges right mm-hmm. like her character part of her arc is literally saying near the end like i didn't really gain anything or grow i just i'm just basically got a new haircut mm-hmm. i think that's so like prescient like mm-hmm. i didn't expect it to do that i didn't mm-hmm. expect it to mention the age discrepancy as much i didn't expect it to go there in that scene with humphrey bogart but like i i was hoping like other people felt that way because she comes back and ever like literally he's in the car with her and like her face is in fact her face and he's like i just can't quite place it you know well i just think it's hilarious that you're we're expected to believe that this womanizer yeah. has been living on the same property with audrey hepburn <laughs> in a very cute uh, ponytail and bangs. Oh, she looked disheveled and horrific. Yeah, no, she is Amy. she's adorable. She's basically and, Cinderella uh, before uh-huh. the pink dress. And anyway, this idea that William Holden wouldn't notice Audrey Hepburn because her hair was in a ponytail is... Pretty fun. It is funny. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's just like toying with him in the car. And she's like, oh, I'm having way too much fun. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Anyway, uh, the movie spins itself into this, like I said, like she's still interested in David. So Humphrey Bogart has to distract her and try to make a fall in love with him. I want to talk about the comedy for a minute because I think it's, to me, the thing the movie gets most right, like most consistently, it absolutely knows what it is when it's goofy. And there are, like, I I don't laugh out loud at movies this old this often. And I don't mean that, like, I watch a lot of old movies, but, like, I just don't think that the uh, average audience goer in, like, the 50s or 40s or even 30s 
was expected to guffaw. You know, I think it was a little bit more mannerly, a little bit more like, oh, it was a funny movie. But we all just kind of sat there and chuckled and mumbled through it, right? Um, I laughed out loud several times throughout this. And the the two things I want to highlight, and, and if anyone wants to comment on these or bring in other goofy moments that worked, I really like the scene where all of the house, like orderlies, like the maids and people are sitting around while he's reading the letter from her. And every line they're reading it, he, someone else in the background, the dad's reading like a line and he's like, well, I'm having a great time here in Paris. And they go, that's good. He's like, but I can't stop thinking about David. That's bad. And they do it like six times. Yeah, it's, it's it, it feels like very modern cadence, like snappy, good joke writing. And then the second sequence is the olive thing. I think that's freaking amazing. When oh, the, well, oh, oh, at the very end. When, not quite. Oh. The first time the dad is trying to just get the olive out of the tiny olive glass mm-hmm. and they cut back to him like a dozen times. Mm-hmm. He tries like a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. He, he steals, I think he steals his pen and like bends it into a weird shape. And then he finally just pours his entire martini into the olive gla- <laughs> the olive jar. And then, yeah, the olive thing comes back mm-hmm. to you at the end. So I just think the slapstick, the physical humor in this, especially the dad character, he nails it. The he, it's really funny stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, I really enjoy the scene where the you know David has this habit of sticking two champagne flutes in his back pockets. Yeah, yeah. In order to sneak off to the tennis courts with whoever he's seducing that Doesn't night. Doesn't that seem like too much work? Yeah, like l- yeah. you got two hands. Yeah, no, but I think the idea is that he's like one hand for other no, purposes. Th- no, goodness, no. <laughs> he's creepy. Come on, uh, wow. no, totally he's trying to it. he's trying to get through the crowd without without it being obvious that he's going to go meet someone in the dark. He's holding a bottle of champagne. Okay. Well, no, anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. His older brother is aware of this tendency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just love the scene where uh, the Humphrey Bogart character, Linus, is trying to put his brother out of commission and like tricks him into sitting down, yeah, like good. gets him worked up enough that he forgets that he has champagne flutes in his back pockets. And then like Humphrey Bogart keeps going, take a seat, yeah. take a seat. Everything he's take saying is just to try to take get him a to seat, sit. You know, yeah. and just so that he sits on the, and then ends up having to, you know, have glass picked out of his rear. rear. Um, yeah. I really, I think that scene's really funny. And I honestly think watching Greg Kinnear and Harrison Ford do that same scene. Oh, they do the same they thing. Do, it's okay. the exact same thing. Like they do. Is Greg Kinnear the younger, one. younger brother and Harrison Ford's the yeah. older brother? Okay. Yeah. See that and so Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear do that same scene really well. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I do. I think the funniest line in that exchange is when he's literally having glass shards picked out of his butt. Yeah. And the guy's like, how are we going to know if we got them all? Well, we'll re we'll reassemble the glasses. Of course. <laughs> Like any self-respecting doctor would use these methods. Justin, how about you? How did the slapstick uh, tickle your fancy? Did you like that? Yeah, you, there's a couple things. One, actually, I don't know if either of mine choices for you know moments that I laughed out loud um, that you guys haven't covered already are necessarily slapstick. But when um, <laughs> Linus takes David before their father and they're you know kind of trying to upbraid him at the very beginning when their father becomes aware of this. Yeah. His father brings up David's um, previous marriages and David, uh, much to William Holden's credit, I think just starts arguing like a teenager argues with their parent about like, I want to borrow the car for the night. And he's like, dad, I made three mistakes. (laughs) You know, it's just the the delivery of that is um, really delightful. I think. Yeah. Um, My other choice would be the, uh, the boardroom at the end when Linus says uh, to uh, grandma Walton, uh, pre-grandma Walton, um, hey, get the smelling salts ready. Yeah. And uh, and she's like, okay. And he says, you'll you'll know when. And yeah. then, you know, as soon as everyone gets in there, he's like, gentlemen, I have an announcement. No, no, not, not yet. He's he so good. Anyway. That's what I'm talking about. Against type. This is not the kind of comedic, like, snappy delivery. Com- like, Bogart doesn't have jokes normally. Mm. You know, he's got, right. like, comebacks and he's got witty, mm-hmm. you know, isms and whatever. But, like... that especially in that moment Justin I absolutely was like he can do that like Mm -hmm. and it's weird that he didn't have the opportunity to do it more okay so I don't know if either of you two can shed some light on this aspect of the movie but Travis earlier you alluded to um, different aspects of Audrey Hepburn's presence in this movie one of those things being her attire 
her wardrobe. And so as I was doing um, research into this version of the movie, I found uh, the internet and elsewhere. You has, found the internet? A, I found the internet. It <laughs> was a away. real moment of clarity. I was you in the run. library. You just run. I kept yeah. checking out all these books and the librarian was like, are you aware, sir? We have these things called computers. And I went, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's been a real awakening. So in, in finding the internet, I found there's uh, niches on the internet, and one of those niches is um, devoted to this whole uh, arena of Miss Hepburn's wardrobe. Um, but being a guy, um, uh, just a very simple man, I can't really tell um, the differences between dresses, women's things. It's all a mystery to me. And so um, all, I, all I do know is that when I see um, Hepburn in, in certain attire, uh, certain dresses, I, I know enough to say, hmm, that's different, but that's about as deep as I can go. Um, so can anyone shed any, does anyone have anything to say about those things? Annie knows things and I don't. <laughs> all right. I, I do find it amusing that you all... Um... I just don't know things. No, no, no. I believe you. I, I just, just I, don't know I things. I believe that you're ignorant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, Softballed I mean, that one in there. Yeah, you did. Uh, what, our, what our dear listeners might not know is that you two are both stylish gentlemen when you want to be. Um, Swanky dressers is what she's trying to say. <laughs> so uh, you, you are not quite as ignorant as you may be uh, purporting to be. But there is something different going on here. And um, Audrey Hepburn is bringing in one of the classic 1950 silhouettes. When you look at the other women at the these fancy, you know, dances that the family is throwing, um, they're all in um, a silhouette, a style of dress that would be similar to like the Disney princess look, where you have the tight bodice, often strapless, and then you have just the giant circular ball gown, the poofy bit, the poofy bit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but then when Audrey Hepburn shows up at the party in her brand new French gown. Uh, the silhouette is, well, the silhouette is the same, um, but it's made very differently where she has the same tight bodice, but then she has essentially um, a pencil skirt all in the same color, a pencil skirt going, you know, all the way down past her knees with beautiful embroidery. And then she has a huge, I'm going to call it a bustle. I don't big know, poofy bit. Big poofy <laughs> bit, um, but that, that comes all the way around her hips. And so like, if you actually look at her silhouette, it's the same as all the other women, but it is you know, leaving very little to the imagination, um, as far as her actual shape. Uh, and so she is, uh, becomes the poster child of Givenchy, the French fashion house. Um, they work in partnership for the rest of Hepburn's life. And, uh, Hepburn writes that into her contracts, yeah. you know, that, that, that Givenchy or, or maybe a couple other French houses are going to dress her. Um, but even in the dresses that we see earlier, before she goes to Paris, she's just in those, dresses that come so tight around her tiny little waist um but then you know flare out in the skirt and so it's that is the silhouette of the 50s and, yeah. and Hepburn's one of the ones who um kind of pioneers that also we see at the end uh she shows up at the office to meet with uh Linus and she is wearing um you know very form-fitting pants I think they call them cigarette pants or something just the idea they're just you know, we might sticks. call sticks and, uh, you know, she's wearing a great big coat and, you know, Linus says, let's go out to dinner. And she kind of opens up her coat to show that she's wearing these, these pants. And she says, well, we can't go anywhere. I'm dre I dressed like this intentionally so that we couldn't go anywhere. Mm. And he goes, you're right. You can't. And then she makes him a souffle They're out of saltines. Make me a sardine <laughs> saltine souffle. <laughs> yum, uh, yum. Yeah. So she is actually making some pretty strong statements with fashion mm -hmm. and it's, um, it's, it's impressive. And it, it's apparent, right? Even yeah. like, I don't know all of the French things, but I noticed things looked like incredibly designed, yes. like really stylistically bold. And, uh, she looks good. Uh, Humphrey Bogart looking good in this movie too, guys. I just got to say, I think it's a good look for him. I'm going to say it one more time. Well, the other it's thing, all in the family. I'm, I'm going back to, it's all in the family. I'm so gross. I'm sorry. I, I'm going back to Audrey Hepburn's look for a second, especially at that big party where she comes out with the huge dress. It is hilarious. Cause the girl gets off a train with like two suitcases and then she goes, and Oh, a dog. Oh, and a dog. His and name she is goes, I don't care. David. 
Oh, that's right. It's it, kind of funny. It's it a matters. Fu- it's a good bit, it's actually. Good, it is. Um, and she goes, oh, I have a beautiful new dress from Paris. I'm just going to iron it. And then she yeah. comes out in this behemoth. <laughs> of, and I was like, that would not fit in either of the suitcases you yeah. had with you. And if you think that... If you that touch all- that with an iron, the police <laughs> yeah. would come to get you. Yeah. <laughs> if you think that all you had to do would be like, iron it a little bit to make it recover from whatever stuffing it in a suitcase would do. <laughs> Cramming it like with a plunger <laughs> like, into like, her suitcase. I promise you that dress has never been in a box of any kind. Yeah, no question. Um, so anyway, that but was amusing. That is funny. I wouldn't have noticed that or, or anything else mm-hmm. about Givenchy. But um, now you know how to say it. So. I said it, people. I'm speaking French. You heard it here first. Uh, let's get into our final thoughts. <laughs> So the questions, once again, to remind us are, uh, is it worth your time? And how often would you re-watch it? Uh, why don't we start with Justin? Worth your time? Okay, I'm not really interested in answering either of those questions. Cool. But I That's guess good. I will. Um, uh, yeah, is it worth your time? Sure, it's 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 fine. Um, you know, this is not a bad movie. It is, there is, portions of this movie are really smartly written. It's just, it's very interesting to me how dialogue heavy um you know that that was a lot of the spectacle you were oh, yeah. going to see um i i would re-watch this movie but uh before i did what re-watch this movie again um uh, because it would not be very high in my priority list um um and then you know with regards to the the title of our show you know let the movie speak what is this movie saying um i i feel that this movie at least this version of sabrina doesn't really uh, it can be kind of fun. It can be an enjoyable movie to watch, uh, especially when Humphrey Bogart is not lording over tiny Audrey Hepburn and saying it's all in the family and kissing her. Um, uh, that that maybe is, is not so great. I think the movie doesn't really answer or even care to tell us um, what love is. And by no means is this the only movie then or now that that is a unique issue with. Um, I do think it's a missed opportunity. Um, where, you know, during World War II era movies and even after and It's a Wonderful Life, we got a little bit of respite, in my view, at least in American cinema, from love being simply, uh, this is how I feel great. I get the, the warm and fuzzies when I'm around this person. Therefore, I'm in love. And in World War II, even with Humphrey Bogart again in Casablanca, you get love as sacrifice, that it is more important to, um, you can show love for someone by sacrificing the very thing um, that you want for yourself, or in um, It's a Wonderful Life, love being how much you pour into um, your community, and love being understood in a, in a different way than just what do I get out of it and how do I feel. And since this movie is trying to give us this kind of picture of love that it, it doesn't matter how many years, you know, Humphrey Bogart, you're 400 years older than me, but I still love you, Methuselah. Um, you know, it's it's just harder to buy that when I don't really understand, um, except on a very surface level, what that love is. Again, that is not unique just to this movie, so I don't want to be too unfair or critical to it. But um, especially given some of the specific subject matter, I think it is a little bit of a missed opportunity. And uh, that is my take. Okay, I'm going to go next and give Andy the honor of of talking some sense into us to, to finish this thing out. Uh, I agree. The love stuff is trite. So I, I would say, yes, it's worth your time uh, for the comedy stuff alone. Like this is just directed and like filmed and acted, especially in those comedic moments with like just top notch, like skill and talent and Billy Wilder's. I think he's a crazy person. Like, I think he's one of those, like workmanlike, but sort of perfectionist directors who, whether he's making Sunset Boulevard, which is really ethereal and, you know, more of a like noir pastiche kind of thing, or this, which is none of those things. It's like a total romantic comedy. Um, I think the one thing it has to say to answer that question, Justin reminded me that we were supposed to answer that question. I think the one thing it has to say that stuck with me that I think is totally worth people's time is, is about, is about class. And it really comes from the the uh, chauffeur it comes from the dad right he has that one line that comes back um the second time i think out of audrey hepburn's lips if i'm not mistaken um there's a seat in the back there's a seat in the front and there's a window in between um and i feel like you just get enough of a snapshot with that guy right where he's like this 
ping pong ball, like just sort of, uh, he's being acted upon, but he just can't do much, you know? He's sort of uh, stuck letting his daughter get mixed up in this drama that may or may not be good for her in the end. And he just, you know, he has to have that moment where he tells Humphrey Bogart, like, I wish you wouldn't keep having me drive you to these things, right? So that character and her kind of car ride with him at the end, the fact that she gets on the boat, I think is huge, right? We're talking about like proof that she does come of age or like she does grow into something more uh, possessing more agency or independence. She was going whether or not anyone got on the boat with her. And I think that that matters in the final moments uh, because she has that conversation with her dad on the way to the boat where she says there's a seat in the back, a seat in the front and, and the window in the middle. So I think that's worth the price of admission with the slapstick stuff, which really made me laugh. Um, but I don't think I'd rewatch this like super often. It's not to me like top tier rewatchable uh, thin man level. Like, Oh, it happened one night. Thin man. Those are like those, the kind of screwball kind of things that I could watch anytime and be super happy with them. This isn't that rewatchable, but I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Annie, tell us why it's creepy and we should never watch it again. Well, <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, it, it is creepy. I mean, the, excuse me, there are creepy scenes. Um, it's I all think, in the family. yeah, it's so gross. <laughs> We're gonna say it it's 16 like, kill, more times. Kiss me, kiss my brother, who cares? It's all the family. Uh, it's gross, yeah. gross, you know. And then there's the you know, suicide as 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 comedy, which I like, I just can't. That's also gross. I, I just can't, you know, like, I, I, I can't, even though there's never any real risk to her life, yeah. I just can't. And I think it's telling that they cut that whole thing when they remade this they were in like, the 90s. Better not touch that <laughs> yeah, part. It's yeah, it's like, let's not do that. Um, well, you think how... Uh, I don't mean to interrupt No, no, you. please do. In the 90s, that would play... Like, that would not play no. at, at all. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Post, like, several movies that have come out mm-hmm. from that time that, like, legit deal with the, mm-hmm. the consequences and process of somebody committing or con- considering committing suicide. Like I don't think anyone in the nineties would have been ready for like a ha ha. She's trying to kill herself. You know, Do you guys think there's any example post princess bride of something like that trying to be played, if not directly for comedy, then leading up to something that is directly comedic. You're talking about when she throws herself down the hill and no, no, no. Bride? When she, she's going to stab herself and he's, Oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be a terrible waste. Yeah. That's a great uh-huh. line. It is a very good, a good line. line. Uh, she also throws herself down the hill. But right. that's to save him. That's to save him. But she could have died. Oh, my dear sweet Wesley, what have I done? Oh, I just showed that to my kids for the first time the other <gasps> so week. Good. Oh, man, they were they were loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Justin. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Rob Reiner may be the only one who can get away with that. Well, you see it in animation all the time, right? That's like true. even in South Park, like the Killing Kenny or whatever. Yeah. Like like in, but then again, it's animation where yeah, right. You know, no matter no matter how much. The coyote falls off the cliff. He gets back up again. Yeah, you're right. It's a tough sell. I'm yeah. with you. It's a tough yeah. sell. <laughs> um, to be honest, I came into this conversation just being like, nobody should watch this movie. Like this movie is all about creepers and and grooming and you know just and, and to, you know I wasn't I'm not completely wrong. Um, but having talked with you guys, I've I've kind of come around a little bit on that this this does some things really well. And so I guess I would I would recommend it with a huge massive cartload of disclaimers, um, which is like these things are in here, and if you fast forward or ignore them or just you know, if you get rid of that one line, I think it makes quite a heap of difference. If 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 you get rid of the suicide scene and you get rid of the like. Yeah, the all, all in the family and the repetition line. of it and, is yeah. really the mistake. Um, it, it gets better. I'm not going to say yeah. it's great. Yeah. I um, I really resonated, Justin, with what you were saying about just the total lack of love in this yeah. movie. Because even when you know he shows up on the boat at the end, it's like when he flips up the brim of his, he flips down the yeah, brim, no. flips, up, flips down, uh, flips it down. down. That's the Paris one. Down yeah. is Paris. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't actually believe these two love each other. Like, uh-huh. like they have, there's yeah. I, nothing in their interaction has made me think that there's love there. Um, and so, you know, whatever, but I don't think they care. I don't think that's the point. Okay. And, um, I would recommend this, but with a truckload of caveats, um, 
what I want to do now is I want to go watch that '90s version again. Yeah, I think the nine. It's been a long time since I watched that movie, but what I remember of it is actually Greg Kinnear. I love um, Greg Kinnear, and I think he does something different, slightly different with the David character, which is you kind of love him. Okay, like, he's not just a he's creepo. Greg Kinnear, yeah. and so yeah. when Julia Armand is in love with Greg Kinnear, like you understand why like, I'm in love with Greg exactly. Kinnear. Exactly, <laughs> and so you know, yeah, he's still a playboy. He still has a bunch of failed marriages. Like, like the facts of him haven't changed. But he, he, but he doesn't literally walk by her and go, oh, hey, and then keep going with a bottle I, of champagne. I, there is one line I really, really like where he makes some comment like, I couldn't see you for the tree. And oh, it's, that's funny. It's a really good line because she's, she's in a tree. In a tree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's um, good. So, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to go watch the 90s version again. Before we go, there's just one um, little uh, snippet I'd like to share. It's a rumor, and I don't think there's any way to substantiate this one way or the other. But um, as you guys may be aware, uh, Gregory Peck was in the running um, and originally offered to play the role of Linus. Um, I read Cary Grant, but Gregory Peck's interesting, too. He's old, too, though, isn't he? But isn't that the point? Okay, interesting. Right. Supposedly, the reason that uh, Gregory Peck turned down the role of Linus Larrabee was because he refused to carry an umbrella. <laughs> That's amazing. I did read that. I didn't remember it was Gregory Peck, but I I did read that somebody turned it down because he. Oh, was it? Oh, well, it could have been Cary Grant. I think it was Cary Grant. A, I'm just a simple man. It but, could have been. And Cary I don't understand. It like, doesn't matter who it is. Sometimes there's you just got to stick to your principles. There's you know some, you got to stick to your guns. <laughs> there was some assumption that that umbrellas were feminine. Very cool. And I don't understand that. That's. <laughs> very well, cool very yeah cool. that's the correct response yeah. umbrellas are feminine because i know a lot about fashion as i've proven from this episode <laughs> all right folks thank you so much annie for joining us again thank you this was super fun and i'm sorry we made you watch humphrey bogart kiss audrey hepburn and say it's all in the family it's all in the family <laughs> it's all in the family uh justin next week we have Godzilla, 1951 Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, so uh, it's gonna be fun. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I guess we'll see you next week then. It's all in the family. <laughs> it's all in the family. It's all in the family. <laughs>going to make sure that all the fragments have been removed very simple we will reconstruct the two champagne glasses oh now i cannot possibly be hurting you the area has been completely anesthetized it's not you it's that song oh